friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. ready to go to God's Word, and I'm going to ask you once again to rise from your seats, and we're going to take a look at James chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6 at this time. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source or pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and bless You for this blessed time You've given us, O God. We thank You for reigniting our hearts and allowing us, Lord, to just experience and bask in Your presence as well as in Your manifest love. Indeed, Lord, that is all that matters. Whatever the world says, whatever man says, Lord, it is really irrelevant insofar as our lives are concerned because what really matters is Your love. What really matters is that You have chosen us and You have predestined us and You have elected us. And in that, we should remain secure And in that is our confidence as well as our adequacy. And so this morning, O God, we rest in Your love. We rest in Your goodness. We rest in Your kindness. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that You might minister to us in a very special way. Lord, You know how much we need You and how much we need guidance and how much we need instruction. And so we're going to ask You, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, to be our mentor, to be our discipler this morning, O God. Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray for myself, O God, that you might allow me to think clearly. Father, please compose my thoughts, O God, so that as I speak, it is not I that truly speak, but it is you, O Lord, speaking to your people. I pray for boldness and courage that I may not compromise your word, but I might speak it truthfully, Lord God, with clarity and with passion. And so, Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Worldliness and War. And I think just by that title, you're already intrigued by what that means because oftentimes we may not actually see the connection between worldliness and war. We might think of it as two separate things, two separate issues that we need to deal with. And yes, of course, at times we need to deal with them separately, But in this particular passage, James tells us that there is actually a connection between worldliness as well as war. If there's something I'd like to be able to state to you right at the very beginning, human conflicts are often the byproduct of man's worldly pleasures. But more than that, worldly pleasures actually cause us to be in great conflict with God Himself. Now, obviously, you and I do not want to pick God as our enemy. We want Him to be our friend. 
Now, there are three things that you and I will see in this particular passage, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen for you right now. And these are the three things that we will be discussing. So let's go to point number one, which is worldly passions. And I have subtitled it, War with Men. And where do we find this? We find this in verses 1 to 2. And this is what you and I discover. Lust and, you know, having lust and not having things will actually produce murder. And that's found in verse 2. Now, that's quite intriguing because you might be thinking, well, what does lust have to do with murder? Why do people murder if they have lust? I'm going to explain that to you in a bit. And then also in verse 2, we will find that when certain people envy and then they do not have these things, the result is they fight as well as quarrel. Now, that's point uh, number one. Now, let's go to point number two. In point number two, we're going to talk about worldly motives. And worldly motives equals war within. That's found in verses two to three. And in verse two, James talks about a general principle in prayer. Now, it seems to be out of place because here we're talking about worldliness, and then all of a sudden we find an intruding sentence on the general principle on prayer. I will explain to you why James puts it there. And then in verse 3, we're going to talk about praying from worldly motives, which obviously will not receive an answer from God. And so we're going to deal with that as well. Now, the third and final point would be worldliness, which equals war with God. So we find this in verses 4 to 6. And in verse 4, we find friendship with the world. Obviously, again, that is not pleasing to the Lord. Verse 5 is friendship with the Spirit, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this case. And then the last sub-point is friendship with the world equals pride. And then friendship with the Holy Spirit equals humility. Now, initially, when uh, I made this sermon, I thought of sharing this to you at one time. But then upon examining all the points, I just realized I would be giving you too much in one session. So I decided I'm going to cut this into two parts. And so what we will be discussing for this morning would be points one and two. So we will be talking about worldly passions, and then we will also be talking about worldly motives. Now, I will reserve part three, or sorry, uh, point number three for next weekend, all right? But for now, we're going to talk about uh, points one and two. So let's go right now to point number one. And in point number one, what did we say? Worldly passions equals war with men. So let's just read up once again the first verse, and this is what it says. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, first up, what we discover here is that James propounds or brings forward a question. It is actually a rhetorical question, and it is assumed that people actually knew the answer. But anyway, let's go to the question. The question is, what is the source of conflicts? And immediately, we find James supplying us once again the answer. And he says, the source is the worldly passions or pleasure or the desire and want of things. That is the root of the problem. Now, for us Christians, there is a war being waged within us. It is a war between contentment and covetousness. And sometimes we don't even know that there is a war actually taking place. Now, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that this particular passage was actually devoted to those who were believers in Christ. 
Now, we would like to think that war, conflicts, quarrels, and fighting is not present in the church. But the fact that James was actually writing about these things to the church itself tells us of the reality that in church, there are actually conflicts that takes place. There are wars, so to speak, that take place. And obviously, we want to get at the root of the problem because we do not want that happening in our church. Of course, as I mentioned to you, the reality is these things happen even in church. We just had our pastor's dinner fellowship last Friday evening, and I was talking to one of our pastors, and he told me about a story that he, he had heard about one of the most progressive churches here in the Philippines. And he was telling me that from the outside, this church actually looks very solid. It's very progressive. They're growing in terms of numbers, he said. And so from the outside, it looks like everything is fine. But he told me, you know what, Pastor Mel, what I discovered, I discovered that there is infighting in this church. There is competition among pastors. And again, that's quite disappointing and quite frustrating that this is actually happening in the church. But I guess we need to be mindful of the fact that the church is not really the centerpiece of Christianity. Let me say it again. The church is not really the centerpiece of Christianity. The centerpiece of Christianity is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while the church might be imperfect, while the church might have its own flaws and its own shortcomings, we need to understand that our Lord, Master, and Savior is perfect. Amen? He is perfect in love. He is perfect in righteousness. He is perfect in everything. And that's why the book of Hebrews tells us that we need to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is actually a fatal mistake on our part to fix our eyes on the church and to somehow behave and conduct ourselves depending on how the church behaves. Now, if that becomes the case, then Friends, the difficulty is I think we will start misbehaving. We will start doing things incorrectly or wrongly. We might even be doing things that are sinful when we fix our eyes on the church. That's why even as we discuss these particular things, let us be mindful it is Christ that we must fix our eyes on. Amen? And so, let us not stumble in the ways of what happens in the church, but rather let us fix our eyes on the Lord. Anyway, going back, as I mentioned to you, for us Christians, there is a war being waged between contentment and covetousness. Allow me to just read to you from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, commenting on this particular passage. It goes, Characteristically, James introduced this new section with a rhetorical question. What causes quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, the word quarrels here can actually be literally translated as state of war. So if you were to translate this, James was actually saying, where, where does this state of war come from? It comes from the Greek word polemoi, and then, if you take a look at the word conflicts, it could also be literally translated as individual disputes or battles, coming from the Greek word makai. So, again, it, doing a retranslation of that in a very literal way, it can go something like this. Where does the state of war come from? Where does these individual disputes or battles come from? And again, the answer of James is from your pleasures that wage war within you. 
Now, the word pleasures here is quite interesting. It comes from the Greek word hedonon, wherein we get the English word hedonism or hedonism. Now, hedonism is a playboy philosophy. Now, some of us think when, when we talk about hedonism, it's all about sex. It's all about adultery or sexual immorality or fornication. Actually, hedonism, more than anything else, doesn't really delve only on those things, but hedonism is actually the worship of self. Say, worship of self. It is actually the worship of self. And the moment you and I focus on ourselves, we're actually going against God and against His commandments. Just taking a look at the first two commandments given to us by the Lord, we are told that first of all, we are to love the Lord our God with all our might, with all our mind, strength, and soul. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, you don't find the self there. It is already assumed that we already love ourselves. But we are commanded by God to love Him first of all, and then secondly, to love our neighbors. Now, it is when we begin to love ourselves in a manner that is unbiblical and ungodly that we begin to enter into a lot of problems. And that is why, again, friends, Hedonism is not the way to go, but rather what we need to do is devote ourselves to God and devote ourselves to His Word. Now, here's another question I have. The question is, what are those worldly passions or pleasures that James was talking about in this particular passage, and what do they produce? Well, the answer is found in verse 2. And please read together with me. And this is what it says. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. All right? So, first of all, it says you lust. Now, what is lust? What is it really talking about? Once again, a lot of times we think lust is in relation to sex. But it is broader than sex. It is more than sex, actually. It speaks about craving. It speaks about a longing. It speaks about a strong desire. Now, it could relate to sex, as I mentioned to you, but it is much broader than that. We can actually lust for other things. We can lust for money. We can lust for fame. We can lust for popularity. We can lust for the adulation of people. We can lust for a certain position or a level of authority. These are things that we might be lusting for. And again, at the root of that is the worship of self. At the root of that is a desire to be satisfied, a desire to be happy. And let me state right off the bat, my dear brothers and sisters, according to A.W. Tozer, the goal of God for our lives is not to make us happy. The goal of God for our lives is to make us holy. And I think that's very important to emphasize because a lot of times we are driven with a desire for self-satisfaction. We are driven by a desire to become happy. And as a result of that, we make a lot of mistakes in our lives. In fact, we even sin against God when we put self right at the very center of our lives. We need to understand God has wired us for Himself. And because God has wired us for Himself, in Him lies our true satisfaction. In Him lies our true happiness. The Bible is very clear. Again, so very basic. But sometimes we miss out on it or we forget it. The Bible declares that we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And what's going to happen? All these things shall be added unto us. And you can add to that our own happiness. You can add to that our own satisfaction. 
You can add to that our own peace and our own joy. So joy, peace, and happiness is not found in the worship of self. But joy, peace, and happiness is found in the worship of God. But many people go the wrong direction. And that's the reason why sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we get disappointed because of the lust, because of that craving, because of that longing, because of that strong desire within us. We are focused too much on ourselves. Now, some of us would ask this question. Now, what is the connection between lust, this longing, this craving, this strong desire with murder? Allow me to prove to you by two examples from the Scriptures that tells us that when we lust for certain things and we do not have them, it might result in murder. The first example that I'd like to share to you is the example of Abel and Cain. Of course, you're quite familiar with the story, right? And you and I know that Abel and Cain, they both offered sacrifices to God. And yet, when God looked at their sacrifices, God rejected the sacrifice of Cain, and He accepted the sacrifice of Abel. Now, we do not need to get into the nitty-gritty details of why Cain's offering was rejected. What we just know is that it was rejected. And what was the result of that? The result of that, of course, was Cain became angry with God. He was angry with God because why was his offering not accepted at all? But obviously, Cain knew in his mind that there was no way he could get back at God. There was no way he could kill God. But he was angry within. And because he could not vent his anger on God, guess what he does? He vents that anger on his own brother. And the result of that was the very first murder in the history of mankind. Now, let me ask you this question. What was the wrong that Abel did? What was it that Abel did that actually legitimately offended Cain? The answer is he did nothing. All he did was to devote himself to God. All he did was to offer to God what God wanted, to offer to God what was pleasing. He was absolutely innocent. He just simply loved God. If he was guilty of a crime, he was guilty of the crime of loving God. He was guilty of the crime of giving God what he wanted. But then again, the problem was because Cain felt that his offering was jilted, his love was jilted, he turned his anger towards Abel. And friends, this is something we have to realize, and this is a time of self-reflection and self-evaluation. Let's ask ourselves, is there anger in our hearts? Is there anger in our hearts? Are we bitter against somebody? And the question we need to ask is this, where is this anger coming from? Where is this bitterness coming from? Is it possible, as James suggests to us, that the reason why we are angry with somebody is because we are lusting for certain things and we're not getting them? We're probably lusting for popularity. We're probably lusting for a position. We're probably uh, lusting for money. Or maybe we're lusting for the adoration or the adulation of people, and yet we're not receiving it. And because we're not receiving it, we're frustrated. And this frustration now becomes anger. Let us be very careful because in a worst-case scenario, we can actually do commit murder just like Cain. And some of you might say, well, I'm not really capable of doing that. I don't really murder people. But friends, you know what? If you hate, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, you've already committed murder. And so, 
we may not literally murder somebody, but in our minds, we could be murdering that person because of the hatred and the anger that we have. And the question is, what has this person done? Maybe nothing. Maybe the person has just been blessed of God, and yet we are angry because of that blessing and because we do not have what other people have. I recall another story which I would like to share to you in the New Testament, the story of Judas. We ask this question, why in the world did Judas betray the Lord Jesus Christ? After all, Jesus was with them, with the disciples, with Judas for three long years. Did not Jesus provide bread for them? Did not Jesus minister to all their needs? Did not Jesus teach them and love them and forgive them? Everything that Jesus did for Judas and the apostles was characterized by love, by compassion, by loving kindness. And so why in the world would Judas betray Jesus Christ with 30 pieces of silver and betray him with a kiss? And this is the answer. The answer is because he was frustrated. Remember that there was great messianic expectation at that time. And the reason why there was great messianic expectation at that time was because they were under the Roman Empire. They were oppressed, they were being taxed heavily, and they wanted to be freed from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so comes in the scene John the Baptist who makes an announcement that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then after John the Baptist comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he announces the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so people began to be excited. They were thinking, finally, this is the time we will get back at the Roman Empire. This is the time we will be set free. This is the time we will be delivered, and we will have our own king. No longer Caesar. Caesar will be taken out. He will be removed out of this country. The Roman soldiers will be removed out of this country. We will be our own country again, and we will have our own king. That was the same expectation of the apostles as well. And they were thinking that by hooking up with the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be in positions of authority. They would be in positions of influence. They would be judging some of the tribes of Israel, and they would become popular. That was what was in their minds. And the problem was, Jesus began to speak about his death and about his crucifixion. And Judas must have been thinking, well, I, I gave up everything for you. I've been walking these three years with you. I, I gave up everything, my family, my business, whatever it is that he had, he gave it all up to follow Jesus Christ because he was thinking, one day this is going to pay off. One day I'm going to be one of the judges. One day I will rule and govern together with Christ. But then with the announcement of his death, he was thinking, well, this is going to be this is going to go down the drain. Everything that I hoped for, everything that I dreamed about, it's not going to happen anymore. And because of that frustration, guess what he does? Well, he does not literally, physically kill the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was one of those who facilitated the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. So brought to an extreme, when we are frustrated inside, we can do some crazy things. And this was what actually saddened James because, again, as I mentioned to you, he was talking to the church. And he was saying to the church, why are there wars? Why are there conflicts? Why is there fighting in the church? And he was saying, you know what? We need to get at the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the lust. The root of the problem is, is the worship of yourself. You want to be satisfied. You want to be happy. You want to be exalted. You want this and you want that. 
And because the focus is yourself and not God and not others, this is the reason why these conflicts are taking place. That's why, again, we need to be mindful of our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. Pastor Ricky shared something very wonderful, and this was something that was given to him. Actually, he told me that he was trying to choose between two messages, but when I gave him a deadline on when to submit this manuscript so we could produce his PowerPoint, he just immediately sent what he felt was the leading of the Lord, and he talked about biblical unity. And I can't help but appreciate the working of the Holy Spirit because, again, in this particular passage, this is talking about biblical unity. And this is dealing about a certain problem that was taking place in the church that James was addressing. So first is lust. It says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And then he goes on. He says, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, let's define what envy is all about. Envy is resentment towards the blessing of others. Let me say it again. Envy is resentment towards the blessing of others. Let me ask you this question. When people are blessed, watch your reaction. Are you happy for them? Are you rejoicing with them? Doesn't the Bible tell us that we are to weep with those who weep and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice? And so, the, the spiritual response to the blessing of other people is that we should rejoice. We should be happy for them, genuinely happy for them, that God is showing them favor, that God is showing them grace, that God is moving in their lives. We should be happy. We should not be resentful. Know this, brothers and sisters. When we are resentful with the blessings of other people, that is sinful. That is sinful. Because the truth of the matter is God wants us blessed. Amen? God wants us blessed. And so if that is the heart of God towards us, then we should be happy for the blessings of other people. But once again, envy... Is, is something that produces fights and quarrels. Now, by the way, lust and envy are both forms of covetousness that are unsatisfied and result at times in murder or in fights or quarrels or even wars. And again, friends, let's ask ourselves this question. Again, let me point out that James was talking not to unbelievers, but to believers. Let me just pull up from the screen and show to you a verse of Scripture from Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read a few verses, and then we'll skip some. But this is just to show to you the human heart, because we're probably thinking maybe the ones that James was talking about were, were ordinary members. Maybe they just came in fresh in the church. They were new converts, and maybe they did not know better. And perhaps in our thinking, well, people who are leaders in church, people who are pastors, people who are deacons or cell servants, well, they, they don't get into these things. That is never their problem. Well, I'd like to correct that as well because you will discover that the apostles actually had the wrong heart. So let me just show to you from Luke 22 what it says here. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. Now, not only was the Passover approaching, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was also fast approaching because the timing of the crucifixion of Christ coincided with the time of the Passover. At the time when the lambs were being slain in Israel, that was the time when Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was going to be crucified. And so anyway, we move on. 
It says, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. Next. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called uh, Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away, and look at what happened here. He discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. Again, where was this coming from? It was coming from a frustrated heart. It, is co- it was coming from lust. It was coming from a desire to become popular, to become powerful. That was where this was coming from. Anyway, let's move forward and let's take a look at the other verses right now. It says, verse 5, they were glad and agreed to give him Judas money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray Jesus to them apart from the crowd. So this was already set. Now let's go to the next few verses. Now, let's skip a few verses. We go now to verse 14. It says, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and who were with him? The apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly decided to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So there you have the announcement of his suffering, and you also have the announcement of his death. It goes, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, what was he talking about? He was talking about his death. He will no longer be eating and drinking with them. Why? Because he was going to die. So let's move on. And when he had taken a cup, and this was the very first time the Lord's Supper was celebrated. This was the institution of the ordinance of the Lord's table. And it says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Next. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So let me ask you this question. As Jesus was laying the foundation of this ordinance of the Lord's table, and as he had announced that he was going to die, he was going to suffer, What would be the proper response when somebody announces his forthcoming death? Obviously, we would empathize with that person. Maybe we will be a shoulder to cry on, and we will weep together with that person. We will commiserate with that person because obviously he's going through a very difficult time in his life. That should be the proper response. But let's find out what happened here. So let's go to the next few verses. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. So Jesus makes the announcement that the betrayer was there with them, Judas. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Again, with that announcement, they should be concerned. And it seemed like they were. In verse 23, it says, And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. But right after that, this is something so revealing of the human heart. Verse 24, And there arose also a dispute. They were fighting. And what were they fighting for? There also arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Let's move to the next few verses. But it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? 
Obviously, Jesus was referring to himself here as the greater one. And then he says this, Is it not the one who reclines at the table who is greater? But I am among you as the one who serves. Isn't that interesting? Jesus announces he was going to suffer. Jesus announces he was going to die. And they were not hearing it. They were not hearing what Jesus was saying. They were not out there to have compassion on Christ. They were not there to empathize with Christ. But rather, what they were so fixated on was their greatness. What they were fixated on was the power. What they were fixated on was their own exaltation. So it did not really matter that Jesus had announced that He was going to be crucified. What mattered to them was their own greatness. And herein, we find something very revealing about the human heart. Sometimes we don't really understand what is genuinely important. Sometimes we fail to understand it is never really about ourselves, but it is about God and about His kingdom. Sometimes we think that we have been saved by God so that God could bless us and so that God could make us happy, and we think that is the end goal of God. And so we go about in our lives with all of our dreams and all of our aspirations, with all of our desires, and we want them to be fulfilled by God. In fact, what happens there is we are simply using God as a means to an end. Now, friends, let me just ask you this question. What if you can have another means to a particular end? Does it mean that you would exchange God for something else or somebody else? Is God somebody that you worship simply because you want to use Him? Is God there simply to be a vehicle, an instrument for your own personal satisfaction? And friends, let me just tell you this. That's having a wrong heart. The right heart is to fix our eyes on the Lord and to make His concerns our concerns, His dreams our dreams, His aspirations our aspiration, His will our highest call. And only then, only then can we truly experience lasting joy and peace. It is when we lose focus on ourselves that we will experience and taste and see that the Lord is good. It is only when we lose ourselves in God that we will experience His pleasures at His right hand. And in His presence, there is fullness of joy. That's why, friends, at this particular time, let's try to make application in our hearts. Is there anger in your heart right now? Or do you know of somebody who is angry? You know what I discovered? If you pay attention long enough, if you listen long enough to a person who is venting his anger, you will get at the root of the problem. And oftentimes, behind that anger, behind that wrath, behind that boiling rage, is frustration. Behind that anger is a desire that has not been fulfilled. And friends, that being the case, we understand, therefore, that the root of the problem is lust and envy. And we should not be envious. You know, there's one thing that I appreciate with Japanese culture. In the Japanese culture, the goal of a manager, all right, listen well, the goal of a manager is to make those under him to be like him one day. In fact, even to become 
a manager of equal stature. Not only that, a manager in Japan desires that the people under him might reach their full potential to the point that they might even become higher than them. You know what happens? When a person gets promoted over and above the manager, you know what the manager does? He throws a party for this once-upon-a-time subordinate who is now promoted to a higher position than him. Now, let's talk about Filipino culture. If you're a manager, what is your end goal for people under you? Is it like the Japanese mindset that they might one day become your equals? Is it your goal that one day they might even surpass what you have achieved? And if they surpass what you have achieved, listen well, Filipinos, will you throw a party for them? Hello? Will you throw a party for them? Well, generally speaking, I don't think we'll throw a party. That's why sometimes, and this is sad, because sometimes, and this is true, you will agree to this. Sometimes we are characterized with crab mentality. Instead of wanting people to be blessed, instead of wanting people to be elevated, we want to pull down people for what reason? That we might be on top all the time. And when that does not happen, we get frustrated, we get angry, we get envious. And friends, that's the wrong way to go. You know, one very good example in the Bible is Barnabas and Paul. Now, before Paul became Paul, he was initially known as what? He was known as Saul. And initially, if you take a look at the book of Acts, what we find is that Saul was actually just an associate. He was just an associate of Barnabas. And that's why initially it was Barnabas who was really in the front line. But later on, here is where you see the graciousness of God with the heart of Barnabas. Later on, when he began to see that, that Saul, or now Paul, had greater gifts and that God was calling him to a greater ministry, guess what, what Barnabas did? He gave way. He gave the red carpet to Saul and he said, Paul, it's now your time. God is exalting you. God is lifting you up. God is blessing you. God is causing you to be greater than myself. And so, Paul, just have your way. And so, right after that, we find Paul was now the leader. I recall a little story, and I do not mean to, to boast about this, but something that I'm thankful to God that he has allowed me to do. You see, when I was starting in ministry, I had two ministries before Cebu. I ministered in Batangas, and I also ministered in Alabang. These were my first two churches, uh, first two church plants that I did. And I had several associates with me. One associate I had was Pastor Jurem Ramos, and the other associate that I had was uh, Pastor Bobby Tayag. They were, uh, at that time, associates of mine. I was leading the team. But later on, God began to really use these men mightily, and God really blessed them. And so, Pastor Jurem right now is heading a very successful ministry in Davao City. 
And uh, Pastor Bobby Tayag is now uh, heading a ministry in Cagayan de Oro as well as in Bohol. When I started ministry in uh, Alabang, Pastor Bobby Tayag was my worship leader. He was my guitarist, in fact. And I saw, however, that he was gifted not only in music, but he was also gifted in teaching. So, I gave him an opportunity to start ministering to our people in Alabang. And so, I said, Pastor Bobby, I'm going to give you… No, he was not yet the pastor at that time. I said, Brother Bobby, I'm going to give you 30 minutes just to uh, do a Sunday school teaching before our praise and worship and before the service. And true enough, he was gifted. I mean, people were blessed. The only problem I had with him was that sometimes he went overtime. And so sometimes I would be at the back and say, it's time to stop, all right? But the Lord began to bless and bless and bless this brother until finally when we formed our group of pastors called Communion of Christian Ministries, he had been chosen as our chairman. And I was just so happy to serve under him. For me, I was not thinking this guy was just my associate pastor. For me, I was not thinking this guy was just my guitarist before. For me, this guy had been exalted by the Lord, and he had become my chairman, and to him I would submit. I do not say that to boast, but I say that by sharing as a way of example that we need to have that kind of a heart, not envying people, not wanting to pull down people, being angry when, when people are being blessed. That's the wrong heart. We have to have the heart of Jonathan who rejoiced when he knew that God had chosen David to be king and not him. According to the bloodline, it was Jonathan who was supposed to be next in line after King Saul, but Jonathan knew it was not his call to be king. And so instead of trying to manipulate and prepare the way for him to become king, instead he supported David to become king of Israel. And that is how it is supposed to be. That is the Christian way. And so, we move next to the worldly motives, which produces a war within us. Let's read verses 2 and 3. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, again, as I mentioned to you, it seems like prayer here is out of place. But the truth of the matter is that it's not out of place. But here, James is giving us a very important principle, which is the rule of the kingdom. It says here, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, may I ask you, brothers and sisters, have you been asking from the Lord? The things that you're frustrated about, my question to you is, have you really prayed about it? And sometimes, if we really examine ourselves, we will discover that some of the things that we're frustrated with, we did not even pray about. We did not even seek the face of God. That's why James was saying here, you know what? Instead of envying and lusting, instead of fighting and quarreling, why don't you just ask God? Ask Him. And if it is His will, He will grant it to you. If God wants you blessed, He will bless you. So the rule of the kingdom is we just have to ask. Now, here's the problem. When we do not ask and we, we just have these legitimate wants, those legitimate wants might later on turn and produce a war within us that will eventually produce lust and envy. And brothers and sisters, 
that is not right. So, so here's the thing. We need to pray. Now, verse 3 also says, because you ask, I'm sorry, verse 3 reads, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, here's the reason why sometimes we pray and we don't receive the answers. It's because we have wrong motives in our hearts. Sometimes we don't even know that the things we ask might be harmful to us. I don't know if I shared this story to you already, but if I did, let me share it again. I recall one time, my son, when he was about two years old, we were in a particular house. We were visitors in that house, and uh, my son was playing around, and he went into the bedroom of our hosts, and then he saw right under the bed a gun. A very small gun, which is called a senorita gun. It's actually a lady's gun. It looks like a toy. So my son got that, and he started to play around with it. He was so happy. And he was, he was, he was so happy that he found a toy. Praise God, he was not pointing it at us. Praise God, he was not using it on himself. And and the owner of the house saw what was happening and took the gun immediately. And sometimes we're like that. We're playing with guns, so to speak, and we don't even know it's harmful to us. We have got to trust God, that God knows exactly what is best for us. Amen? We have to learn contentment. You see, there is a place for us in God's call. There is a place for us in God's church. We are like pieces of a puzzle. How many of you are familiar with jigsaw puzzles? All right? We're familiar with that, right? Now, you cannot just put those pieces where you like. Amen? They are desig there are designated places wherein those pieces actually fit and when you're able to fit all the pieces in their proper places, what do you have? You have a complete picture. And we are simply just like that. We are pieces of God's puzzle. And we need to find our place in the body of Christ. We need to find our calling. We cannot be in any other place. Our happiness, our joy depends on finding our place in this life, finding our calling in this life, which means to say we cannot ambition being in another place if it is not our calling. I'm going to share to you a little story. I've never shared this before. But a couple of years ago, I visited the United States, and I preached to a group of pastors. And as I preached to a group of pastors, many were greatly blessed. And the head, or one of the heads of a particular large denomination in the United States approached me, and he said, I would like to offer you to become pastor here in the United States. And we will give you everything. We will give you a good salary. And he was talking to me about all the perks and all the benefits that I would receive if I decide to become pastor in the United States. And I just simply smiled. And the reason why I was just smiling was because no matter what you offered to me, it doesn't really matter. I have found my place in the body of Christ. My calling is not to be a pastor of a church in the United States. My calling is not to be a pastor in the United Kingdom or any of those wonderful countries, and they're wonderful countries. My calling is to pastor here in Cebu. Amen. This is where I belong. But you know what? I know of many pastors who, who sadly have ambition go, going to greener pastures because the pay is greater, because the benefits are there, the perks are there. Friends, 
We cannot do that. Some of us are like, are like squares that are trying to fit into a circle. And you and I know no matter what we do, even if you force a square into a circle, it will not fit. You need to find your proper place. And where you find that place, friends, there is where your happiness will be. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, that we cannot receive anything unless it has been granted to us from heaven. So ultimately, it's all about the sovereignty of God. It's all about being content with the place that God has given to us. The truth of the matter is, I don't really, I have never really ambitioned becoming pastor of a big church. When I took a sabbatical more than 14 years ago, I bid a temporary goodbye to the elders and the deacons of that time and said, I need to go. Because at that time, I felt I was spiritually dry and I had nothing more to give to the people. And I felt in my heart it would be a great injustice to the people that I serve if I could no longer give them anything that would truly benefit them. So I told the elders and the deacons at that time, please allow me to just leave for a time. And I told them this. If I come back and you still say that I would be senior pastor of this church, I welcome that, of course. But I said, if this place will be occupied already by somebody else, that's fine with me. I said, I am still coming back. And if you want me to serve, and I said this really from the bottom of my heart, if you want me to serve as janitor of this church, I am truly willing to serve you even as a janitor. Now, that's not a press statement to make me look good. That was really sincere from here. For me, it doesn't really matter. The limelight doesn't really matter to me. Being famous doesn't really matter to me. What really matters to me is that I find my place in the body of Christ. And if it be here, hallelujah. If it be cleaning up, washing the toilet, if it be as a janitor, hallelujah. What is important is that I am able to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that is all that matters. The problem really here, as the verse suggests in verse 3, it says here, you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's still, once again, about self. It's still, once again, about my pleasure, my happiness, my satisfaction. And James was saying, that's the wrong way to go. And so, friends, as I close this sermon, let's examine our hearts. First of all, let's ask this question. Is there anger in our hearts? Is there bitterness in our hearts? And may I ask, where is that coming from? Where is that bitterness and that anger coming from? I pray that you might submit yourself to God because after all, that is what is needful. You know, let me just close with this. When Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, remember Jesus Christ dipped the bread and gave Judas that piece of bread? What do you think Jesus was doing? In that culture, when you did that, you were honoring somebody as a special guest. What did Jesus really want from Judas? The only thing that Jesus really wanted from Judas was for him to repent. And yet we know 
that Judas had already decided at that time, he was already beyond repentance. And as a result of that, he did something that is the most infamous act ever done by a man against God himself. And that is unfortunate. We do not want that happening to us. Amen? We want to live in freedom, and freedom is found only in Christ. Amen? Freedom is found only in Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts. Lord, you have been so good to us. And in truth, we cannot really ask for anything more. You are our treasure. You are our chief joy. And there is nothing else in this world that we desire except you. And so, Father, I pray that you might move and minister to our hearts, O God. Allow us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And teach us, Lord, that it is never about us. It is never about our personal happiness and satisfaction. It's all about you. And in you, we will find security. In you, we will find stability. In you, we will find true joy. Thank you for this morning. I trust that you have gone beyond my weaknesses, O Lord, and that you had spoken to the heart of hearts of your people. And Father, we thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory, all the praises, and all the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen.